Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Will you drink deeply of Jesus? Will you come to the water of life? You will never thirst again. Let all who are thirsty come to Him. Will you drink deeply of Jesus? Will you come to the water of life? Let all who are thirsty come to Him. Come and draw from the well of salvation. Be made clean, let Him wash you in truth. He is the fountain of living water. Come and be All who are thirsty come to Him. He can refresh you in the desert where your sin left you lost on the brink. He is the fountain of living water. Come to Him, dear sinner, and drink. water of life you will never thirst again let all who are thirsty come to him will you drink deeply of Jesus will you come to the water of life you will never thirst again let all who are thirsty been lost in the wilderness, chasing nothing but sin and death. He is the fountain of living water. Come to Jesus and live. Will you drink deeply of Jesus? Will you come to the water of life? You will never thirst again. Let all who are thirsty come to Him. Will you drink deeply of Jesus? Will you come to the water of life? You will never thirst again. Let all who are thirsty come to Him. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I didn't want to preach today on Romans, the eighth chapter. It's a very difficult chapter. Now, it's not difficult if we don't take the words literally. 
But if we take the words literally that we find, it becomes very difficult. Probably the two most popular scriptures, although there are some other top ones in this chapter. Chapter 8, verse 1 of Romans, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, it's it's clear that he's speaking locatively. What do I mean? Location. There is no condemnation for those who are located in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ, located in Christ. That's different than from the law of sin and death. You see, the law was to point us to Jesus. But it was weakened by the wicked nature. What do I mean? It was impossible for the law to make you righteous. So how do you become righteous? And the word righteous just means innocent. How do you become innocent before a holy and righteous God? How do you become innocent? Well, that's the trouble. Because to be innocent, verse 4, you must meet the righteous requirements of the law. You have to meet those requirements. Now, the question is, how do you meet them? And if you answer back, we meet them by trusting in Jesus. And his righteousness covers us. You have received a false teaching. That is not, that is not, I say, how we become righteous. Look at verse 4. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, Paul is saying, look, you become innocent by walking according to the requirements of the law. They must be fulfilled in us. We cannot walk in accord with the flesh. What is the flesh? He's speaking about the carnal nature. But according to the Spirit. Verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh, or according to the carnal nature, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To the 
To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It says nothing in this eighth chapter about God giving to you his righteousness. Instead, it's speaking about a way for you to become righteous. It's not a a shell game. It's where you literally have to become righteous. And how do you become righteous? By being in the spirit of the living God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So in other words, there is something that must happen in you and in me that radically changes the way we think and the way we live. Jesus called it with Nicodemus being born from above. Nicodemus understood that he was saying, you must go back into the womb and be born again. And he said, how can that happen? How can that happen? Now, where we're beginning to go with this is that there has to be a radical change in your life and in mine so that I don't live according to the flesh, ever. If I'm living according to the flesh, I cannot live according to the Spirit. Again, please, this is location. That locative term is so vital to understand that if you live in the locative, you do not live in the natural man. You don't live there. The things of the flesh no longer bite you. You live in the spirit. And when you live in the spirit, you live in freedom and joy. You live in righteousness. Now, some of you think righteousness is impossible to attain. And the modern church teaches that we live in the natural man and we live in the spirit at the same time. Show me that in scripture. It's not there. You live either in the spirit or you live in the flesh. You can't live in both at the same time. And for some of you, this is a very difficult concept because you have been taught by your pastors that you will always live in both worlds at the same time. And if you do, 
you never will be able to please God. It does not please God when we live in condemnation under the law of sin and death. And so we have come up with a false teaching that says, okay, you're going to live in sin and death, and you're going to live in innocence before God, but you're never going to really be innocent. God's just going to declare you innocent. He's going to say, I choose to make you innocent, even though you're not innocent. And you see what that does. That opens the door for you to live in the midst of wickedness and righteousness, but it's for real wickedness, and it's make-believe righteousness. It's for real sin and make-believe righteousness. How do you do that? That's enough to drive somebody crazy. You can't live in both worlds at the same time. Now, what I've been struggling with, and it's why I didn't want to preach on this subject today, When I set my mind on things of the flesh, my mind cannot be on things of the Spirit. It's locative. It's one or the other. So let's let's identify some things. If I'm living according to the natural inclination of a man's heart, His primary concern is going to be, how do I make money? I want to make money and get rich. Okay, we can baptize that into the church, right? Pastors do it all the time. I want to go to the sports activities. Like, I want to go to the football games. I want to go to the baseball games. I want to go to the tennis matches. I want to be involved in sports. Many of you live for sporting activity. Not that you're playing. You're watching somebody play. You're watching them as they compete with one another. And now one of the new things is FanDuel. You can gamble on the football game, and it's legal. You can gamble on the baseball game, and it's legal. It's not righteous. It's sin. But I'll go to church on Sunday. I'll pay my tithe. I'll try to treat people with kindness, mercy. I'll try to, I'll try to live a good life, but it's good according to my measure. 
not good according to the Spirit of God. And so, to live a good life according to the human standard is that we practice living a good life and we try hard. But we're not transformed. We're always dealing with the negative. We're always dealing with, okay, how do I do this a little better? I've heard parents say to the little children, good job. What do they mean? You did it right according to my standard that I've established for you. Is that really righteousness? No. No. Is is it important to live a moral life? Yes. Absolutely it's important. The question is, how do I live that moral life? Do I live it by the flesh, trying hard? Or do I live it by the Spirit of the living God who has given me new birth in Jesus Christ? Well, obviously, we have to try hard, right? No. We have to be transformed. It's hard for a a dog to be a cat. Well, you say that's impossible. Of course it is. A dog is a dog is a dog. The dog may behave very well. It may roll over for you. It may bark for you. The dog may... They do everything you expect a dog to do. But a dog is a dog. They act like a dog. Smell like a dog. They're a dog. You are in the flesh when you act like a human person, but debased. Cast down. But when you become a Christian, you are to become a new person in Christ. The attitudes are not the same. The behaviors are not the same. To set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit of life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we're dealing with two very different creatures. We're dealing with a born-again person spoken of in Romans, the sixth chapter. A new person who's never existed before. Or we're dealing with a normal man who walks in bitterness and anger 
who sins against the Almighty God. He may be a very moral man, and he may be a very pleasant man to deal with. Still just a wicked man. Versus a man who has been born from above, who's no longer that wicked man. The law of the spirit of life set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So a man who has not been set free but still walks in the law of sin is going to die. Now, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you are no longer a man or woman who walks in the law of sin and death. And because of that, there is no condemnation for you before Almighty God. But that change has to take place. If it doesn't take place, we're still the sinner man. Although a vastly improved sinner man, still a man who is under condemnation. He tries as hard as he can to be righteous, but he can't. He is separated from God. I ask the question as I open this broadcast, does the Spirit of God live in you? If you're still a natural man, the Spirit of God does not live in you. He may strive with you. He may encourage you to take your place with Jesus on that cross, Romans 6. But you won't do it. Romans 6 was brought to me in a dream where I was walking on the parking lot of the Cathedral of God and Romans 6 was the name of that parking space that I was walking through. The little sign there, Romans 6. A woman dressed in gold, beautiful young, walked out of the tabernacle of God and came toward me. And before us opened a beautiful baptismal tank. And I... I motioned for her to come forward that I wanted to baptize her in the name of Jesus. She held back. She did not want that baptism. She did not want to be born from above. She enjoyed her parties. She enjoyed her social life. She enjoyed being full of her own ideas and her own goals and her own objectives. She she loved being filled with her own beautiful clothing. 
she did not want to take up the cross and follow Jesus. The majority of people in the American church have never taken up their cross, and they are not following Jesus. They are following trying hard. They're following trying to be right. They're following going to church, paying tithe, fitting the cultural norm of the American church. They enjoy the music of the natural man, except now it's religious music, but there's still no difference to speak of. There's no real commitment. It's sentimental enjoyment. You see, you can appear to be a Christian today and not be one at all. And that's why I open by asking you this very difficult question. Does the Spirit of God live in you? Does the Spirit of God dwell in you? And do you live in the Spirit of God? See, the great question that troubles me so much and that I preach about and speak about quite often is just this. I can be a beautiful pagan and think I'm a Christian. I can be a beautiful pagan and do wonderful things for wonderful people, but not dwell in Christ Jesus. This has become a painful question for me to try to deal with because there are many who say, oh, you you were baptized, and they said the words over you. But you're saying you are not sure that you're in the Spirit? I know I'm in the place of struggle, trying to understand how to walk in total freedom, how to walk in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I read over and over the book of Acts, and I compare my life to the book of Acts. I have to tell you, I still fall short of that book of Acts. I need to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I am walking righteous and innocent before God. But if I, and I don't, but if I go to the sporting events, I sit in front of the television, I I go to the parties, I know immediately that I'm not following Jesus Christ. is not easy stuff. It takes a real strong system, a strong constitution, 
to take everything you think and do into the presence of Jesus and let him judge. Now, how is this attained? It's by faith. We walk righteous before God by faith. But it's not make-believe faith, and it's not phony faith. It's real faith, and it's walking in real righteousness. I praise God for for the fact that I do not walk according to the flesh. It's the Holy Spirit that comes and dwells in you, and it puts to death the behaviors, the actions. See, what we've not been able to comprehend the New Test- in, the, in the American church is that, is that righteousness is real action. It's doing what Jesus teaches us to do by his spirit and enables us to do by his blood. It's not saying and making believe that I'm doing it. It's actually doing it. It's letting the anger go. It's letting the selfishness go. It's letting the judgments go. It's it's real life. It's not make-believe life. Let me just read this for you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, not to live according to the natural man. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Notice it says, the deeds of the body. What's that mean? That means what you do every day, where you go, what you love, what you look for. The lust that may come into your heart that is that is so dangerous. And you don't deal with lust by avoiding it. You don't avoid beautiful women because lust grows and stands ready to leap. No, you must have a total change in the way you think about women. That women are not objects. Women are not objects of lust. Instead, they're people who need the salvation of Jesus. Women are are people who are destined either for hell or heaven. And if when you look at a woman, you lust after her, that is, you desire to use her for 
pardon me, for your own pleasure. You're lost. It says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Same is true if man lusts after money. That is, he wants to use that money for his own pleasure. It's true of every part of the flesh life. It's for our pleasure. The spirit life, it's for the encouragement of others. It's for the service to others because we're helping each other. Because the joy of our heart is not to hoard to ourselves, but to give to others. To make way for others to be taken care of, to be fed and housed. To have that car that they so desperately need so that they can get to work. When you are given over to Jesus Christ, you see people, not gender. There, are, there is only two genders, male and female. But male and female are not given to each other for the purpose of using whether sexually, or money, or status. Your heart is not given to the absolute necessity of gaining something. And if you can't gain it, then you're going to be very dissatisfied. You're going to be very unhappy. But if you can possess it, okay, I'm a happy camper. No. This cuts very, very deep. You, however, verse 9, are in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. And I have to come back and say, does the Spirit of God dwell in you? Or does the Spirit of God have to come and constantly contend with your wickedness to try to get you into a place where you will finally give up everything and take your place with those who serve Jesus? 
anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, remember chapter 6 of Romans, you must die to sin. You die to the lust of your heart. You just simply let it go and no longer feed it. You live in the joy of Jesus Christ. The Spirit is life. As of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are laid, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. See, we are called to live in a new place, in a place filled with the presence of God, because we are invited to live in God, in Jesus, in the Spirit. Heaven and hell are not the same. Hell consumes a person and destroys. Heaven causes a person to become larger, more powerful, able to help and carry another's load. Heaven is a place where there is joy and peace because we were not created as consumers. We were created as contributors. Are you a contributor? Are you a consumer? I like that that old picture of heaven and hell. You have one place of hell where there is an incredible banquet of food delicious food the aroma is incredible but you can't bend your elbows so you can't with your spoon eat because your elbow won't bend or you're in heaven 
And in heaven, also you can't bend your elbow, but you feed each other. I thought that was an interesting description. Heaven and hell. One where everyone is starving because they're trying to get that elbow to bend and they're trying to figure out how to get that food into their mouth. Heaven. Everybody is concerned about feeding somebody else. So which is it for you? Are you trying to feed yourself? Trying to feed somebody else? This chapter 8 is very difficult because it really outlines what it means to be not just in word, but in action, a follower of Jesus Christ. Where your concern is, who can I help? How can I support? Rather than, how do I get all that good food in my mouth? See, read Romans 6, 7, and 8. It's the clearest description I know of how to be a Christian. What it requires to be a Christian, a Christ follower, Mighty God. Mighty Jesus. I've lived for many years in my flesh, in my natural man, and I've tried my best to be a Christian. But I've discovered I can't be a Christian. It's something you have to do in me and for me. It's something you have to make me into. It takes a surrender on my part to your authority, to your power. Lord, I don't want to be living in condemnation and sin and trying hard not to be. Lord, I... I choose to surrender my will to you. I choose to stop making demands of you. I choose to seek your Holy Spirit with all of my heart. And I know it's not an intellectual knowing of your Holy Spirit. It's indeed, it's in action, it's in truth where I give myself to be used by you to lift up the broken, to lift up the sinner man and tell him there's another way. 
that salvation is a free gift. It's not won by by bitter labor. That heaven is won by surrender to you, Jesus. I came into this world, Lord, a natural man, filled with ambition, filled with with pride, filled with a desire for, for the wicked things of this world. Lord, you have by your Spirit taken those things away from me. And I come today praising and worshiping and honoring you, Jesus. I come today desiring with all of my heart to be filled with the Spirit of the living God. And Lord, I don't want to be filled with the Spirit of the living God and make believe. But I want the fullness of your Spirit to dwell in me. And I recognize that for that Spirit of God to dwell in me, it's going to take my time, my attention. It will take from me the time that I would normally use to achieve my goals. To be filled with your Spirit requires intense prayer life, crying out to you. Lord, you've given me time to be like you, Jesus. And I thought all I needed to do was say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I surrender. I'm on my way. Lord, how shallow and ugly that position is. I know it's not some confession of faith or some vow that I choose to make. I know it's being transformed and moved from the flesh through the cemetery and into the spirit. I know today that many will miss out on heaven because they've never made that transition. And that causes me a great deal of grief and sorrow. Lord, I pray that even as I'm praying now for my brothers and sisters, that they would come into a new relationship with you. And if they have not entered into that newness of life, I pray that right now they will begin to cry aloud to you, that you will, that you'll bring to them a full vision of their wickedness before you, that they will see and tremble before a holy God because they're not holy. 
But I pray. I pray that your people will come and allow you to move them out of their flesh and into the spirit of the living God. But I know that if I want to live in your spirit, I'm going to have to meet the standard. I'm going to have to give up the wickedness and give up my own love of darkness. Lord, would you do that right now in all of us? Right now, would you do that in my brother and my sister? Lord, would you redeem us by your blood? And Holy Spirit, would you come and deal Would you deal with our hearts, our laziness, our slowness, our love of darkness? Lord, would you come? Would you come and revive us? And cause us to turn in the name of Jesus from every entrapment of the devil. And let us live free with joy on the path to heaven. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. I pray that today's message has been helpful in causing you, triggering you to choose to go to Jesus. That you would recognize how easy it is to live in sin and death. But you would set a determined light in our heart that we will not live in sin and death, that we will live in your spirit, that we will be filled by your spirit, that others will observe self-sacrificing love for them. Pray, Lord, that Pray, Lord, that people who are sick today, who are broken, will let that sickness or that brokenness drive them to seek you, Jesus, with all of our hearts, all of our minds. Lord, I pray that your hand, your arm, will go about each person who needs you. Lord, I acknowledge today I desperately need you. 
I acknowledge today that I cannot be righteous by my own power and by my own strength. I acknowledge today, Jesus, that I am a hopeless, utterly hopeless person on the side of the flesh. But when you break that power and you draw my heart to you, Lord, you can defeat every wickedness and every demon. Thank you, Jesus. Pray in your holy name. Well, as we approach next week, Thanksgiving, I would ask, would you ask Jesus if you would, if he would have you give a Thanksgiving offering for this work of the gospel. I'd love to hear from you. You can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online, and there you'll also find a, a snail mail address. My brother, my sister, thank you for partnering with me. I love you. God bless you.